I am not Tim. But wait, we have something maybe even better. You guys, Tim would agree. You guys, we are so blessed to have uh, Archbishop Ben Kwashi and Mama Gloria. They've been at our house just a little while. How long have you? <laughs> ben, come on up. And we're domiciling together, so if I have COVID, he has COVID. If he has COVID, I have COVID. We're, we're good. We're brothers. We have coffee every morning. Ben, We've been known to. It's, it's a religion. Coffee every morning. Amen. We have funny stories. We eat. Mama Gloria, honestly, she's the best cook. We were cooking rabbit this week. Yeah, I know. Not Peter rabbit, just a, a mean rabbit that was in the woods. A mean rabbit that bites little children. <laughs> and I cooked it, and it was, it was okay. And then we got another rabbit, and Mama Glory cooked it. And, I mean, it's like the difference to home up. Like, your shoe heated up and marinated, and a tender steak. Mama Gloria, you crushed it. So we're so glad to have you guys here from Joss, Nigeria. Ben, tell them why you're here. I'm here to receive um, medical care for a colon cancer that turned out to be beyond colon. It got to my liver. And um, so I've been kept here now. This is my seventh month um, in one house with this gentleman and that lady. <laughs> And we're, we've gotten to be really, really good friends. But, guys, Ben and Gloria will never tell you this, um, but they're kind of a big deal in Nigeria, and they would never tell you that. But the bottom line is they've planted so many churches. Ben, since he was little, God just wired him to do something big, something crazy, only it was bent to kingdom purposes. And uh, I don't know if you've read their books. If not, you ought to get it. Not, not that we're trying to squeeze dollars out of you, but you just ought to read it. Mama Gloria, the Archbishop's wife, or Gloria, the Archbishop's wife, is on Amazon, and uh, neither bullet nor bomb nor cancer. Cancer. Uh, read their, just to give you one snippet, and I'll hand it to Ben. Uh, he has one diocese where uh, almost all his churches were burned to the ground. Tell him about that. The diocese of Maiduguri and Damaturu, I was speaking with the bishop yesterday. And um, he had a women's conference going on over the weekend. And they all dispersed yesterday. And I saw in the news, they were in conference, didn't even know that Boko Haram were battling in Gaydam, which is just a few kilometers away from where they were in Damaturu. That's the life they live. Both those bishops are living on the strings of prayers of saints in the world they will never know. Over 45 congregations, churches were destroyed in Maiduguri Diocese. Over 45. And in Damatru itself, I think only about 10 churches are standing out of nearly 80. So that, that's where we are. So tell them about your, your own house being burned and the current state of your house not being burned. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you very much, my brother. Um, we, we came here in late October uh, for treatment of cancer. And um, you like to know that we were hesitant. I personally was given to just go to be with the Lord and whatever help can be given to Gloria instead of spending it on my medical health should go to her because the number of children were increasing. And I know the cost of treatment of cancer, even back at home, not to talk of here, where... I must say, 
I have been told by other people in the whole world, America's treatment of cancer is the best. That should make you feel good because it's the grace of God. And yet people who are saying, go to America, I say, who do I go with millions of dollars to America? And this crazy man just wrote, said, Ben, come, Ben, come. <laughs> I didn't know he had not a dime. <laughs> he just, he just said, Ben, come, we have to find something. We're going to get you alive. And I came and God has worked fantastically through your, your prayers, your giving, your assistance. But I single out those people who made it possible immediately for me to get well. And I can never forget Bob Williams and his wife. I cannot. I, I will never. And I believe that the Lord knows about him in heaven, prepared him for me long before now. So I'm grateful. And of course, other doctors too who put their own lives and money and careers and profession to help me. I'm here today particularly because I am in covenant with the Lord. I was prepared to die, but God spoke through Quig because it was a blackmail through Quig. Because I told Gloria, I'm ready to go. But when Quig's letter got to me, I couldn't hide it from Gloria. So when I shared it with her, she also foolishly shared it with other people. So the pressure on me to travel mounted. After about eight or nine days, I now wrote to Quig. I said, Quig, look, I don't have the money. How could we do this? God had it all mapped out. So Quig said, got Bob Williams, and they began to do the arithmetic of how to get surgeons and everybody to do it. Meanwhile, when that was going on, I said to those people together with Gloria, I said, in any case, my visa has expired. And the American embassies in Nigeria have closed down because of COVID. And she told one of my younger cousins, who's a lawyer, and from nowhere, I got an invitation to American embassy to come and collect a visa. <laughs> Quick wrote letters, people wrote all kinds of letters, and I got there, five minutes, I got a visa. I said, well, I don't even have the ticket money. This same crazy lawyer, a young man, put us on board and ferried us here. My life story is a lot of testimonies, a lot of it. And this is a brief one. That my house and church has been burnt before is one side of the story. In 1984, I, we just had our baby, our first baby, 84, and then... Um, Singing. He's an old priest. He knows how to be a chaplain <laughs> to the bishop. No, to the archbishop. Amen. <laughs> yes, right there. Yeah. And in 1984, I just got up one morning. I went to the bathroom and I found that I was passing urine that was a little, not a drop of blood, but quite a bit of blood. And I said to Gloria, I don't like what I saw in the toilet. And she said, well, it will go away. Then it became severe. And then I found that I couldn't raise my right leg. So I went to the hospital. And in those days, it's not like now where in two minutes you get the diagnosis of your blood test. You had to go through a culture 
that will take three weeks. So in three weeks, the results came out that I had a tuberculosis of the kidney, renal TB. I couldn't eat. I couldn't sleep well. This went on for three months. Finally, as my bishop was preparing to send me to the UK, he was looking for help. The head of microbiology, who is an ordinant in, under me in our church, he later became a bishop. He became a professor of microbiology and became a bishop. He's still alive. He then said, look, a second opinion is important. So he took me to a professor of urology, um, Professor Garg, an Indian, a Hindu. So the Hindu ordered for fresh tests and he told me not to urinate in any other place but in bottles and bring them to him. So in 10 days, I had a, in one week, I had a carton of bottles of urine I brought to him. And he decided to sample each one through a culture. Three weeks later, he called me and I came. And he says, have you been taking any medications? And I said, no. And he said to me, pastor, you must be near to God. I thought that was a good question. And I said, being near to God is of choice, sir. And I laid out the gospel to this man in his office. And he said, how can I know Jesus? And I led him through prayers to receive Jesus Christ in his office. But as a typical Bible student and a deeply rabbinical Pharisee, I'm not one given to dreams and speaking in tongues, all of those things. And Gloria knows that because she comes from speaking in tongues and dreams. So she has dreams of all kinds every now and again. And I said, look, Gloria, look, listen, the Bible, because I'm very rabbinical, I'm a rabbi, so I go through scriptures carefully. So I said to her, no, 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 no. Now, how was I going to tell Gloria a dream I had before the doctor called me? See, I enjoyed today's sermon no small measure because it just throws you off the balance. Whatever you know, you know nothing. You're a human being. Listen to God. Simple. So I braced up and I said, Gloria, I had a dream. She said, what? <laughs> I said, true. She said, what's the dream? I said, I dreamt. There was this girl in our church. She's a nurse in training. And she was crying uncontrollably. And I happened to go to the hospital. And I saw her. And uh, she, couldn't, she couldn't speak. So I said, look, I know who will solve your problems. So would you come with me? So we joined a bus together. And we took a stop at where my church was, which was in the GRA secluded area. It was a colonial church. I was the first African black pastor. It was all quite evil. So I told her, stop here. Then we got down and I opened the door of the church for her. I had the keys and I pointed to the cross and I disappeared and I woke up. So I went to see Dr. Garg and now Dr. Garg tells me he cannot find a bacteria in my urine and he prays to receive Jesus. I came back from Dr. Garg and I said, Gloria, can I have some meat to eat? She was shocked, gave me food to eat. Later in the evening, I said, I want to go and play my basketball. I went 
I played, not for long, but I came back sweating and I was very happy. Till today, I don't have that TV no more. Good news, following Sunday, Professor Gag now comes to church. I did what Anglicans shouldn't do. He saw people coming forward for communion and he also came, I gave him, <laughs> without baptism. <laughs> but that's been my story. Two years later, that church was burned. A year following, I almost got killed in a village where I was um, witnessing to Muslims and on and on and on. Those stories are now in the book, Neither Bomb Nor Bullet. And in Quig's house, and Annette's, neither cancer as well. Shall we bow our heads to pray? Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity of listening to your word. We pray that the word we have heard this day in the morning, with our outward ears, through your servant, our bishop, may be grafted inwardly into our hearts, into our veins and marrows, to produce fruits of good living. And now that we're going to the Bible study, we pray that you will speak, O oh God, because your desire is that other sheep may come in. And you have said this gospel must get to the ends of the earth. Somebody here may be that person who will get to the ends of the earth or somewhere around in town or in the city, in the office or in school. God, may your word prosper. And for that sake alone, do we ask your blessing in this Bible study through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. I will try to look at shepherding in a hostile and difficult time. And it would seem that has been my life, but I didn't know because the, after a few encounters that are small, I thought they were small, and then the big one happened in 1987. Uh, my house was burnt. And my church was burnt and they were looking for me to kill. And over 100 other churches were burnt. And I said, Lord, what have I done wrong? You said you will send me to the world. I'm going to preach the gospel. People will come to Christ. People are turning to Jesus. Children, men, women, villages. I saw Muslim villages turn to Jesus with my own eyes. I'm talking about hundreds that today are now thousands in fact, they are now a diocese of their own. Schools we started as a young missionary. That was what I was, yet why are they going to kill me? You know, till date, the Lord has not given me an answer. And that's the reason I want to get to heaven. Because if I get angry and go to hell, I'll never get that answer. Satan hasn't got any. So I'm the one now who's been patient with the Lord. And I've said, Lord, do anything you like. I will go to heaven. We have to talk when we get there. Oh boy, we will talk. Man to man. <laughs> because what have I seen? What's my problem? When God calls you to shepherding, you will not have all the answers. So let's look at 1 Peter 5. By the way, how many minutes do I have? When is the next service? It starts at 11. So I can finish at five minutes to 11. 
I know you're Americans. I want to be a bit rude here. Five minutes to 11, is it good? No, it's not good. <laughs> I'm wiser than that. We'll get there. First Peter 5. From verse 1. So, I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ as well as a partaker of the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd, when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility towards one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him, because he cares for you. Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Resist him. Firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering is being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Friends, these are people like you and me, flesh and blood. So was Peter. And you all know his story from following Jesus, all his ups and downs, all his swings and quick mouths and oh, yeah, just ordinary people. Because sometimes I think that the way in which we teach as pastors, we tend to present the gospel people as different from us. But they were honestly village people. They were country people. One or two might have been city people and all of that. Some of them were very educated, some were not. Some were businessmen, wealthy people, like Peter's family was a very wealthy one, uh, contrary to the way they were portrayed. And then, of course, Matthew, you know, a very shielded guy from Romans all the time, and he had not a good deal with his cousins and everybody, including his parents. They were ordinary people. Now, Jesus has been raised. We celebrated that. Again, thank you for that beautiful sermon on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That was great. And now we know that by his death and resurrection, fulfilling the scriptures, he is truly the anointed one of God. Like we heard this morning, he is the good shepherd. The only one who can forgive sins. The only one whose blood is the complete atonement for whatever sins we may have. And he is the propitiation 
for all our iniquities as prophesied in Isaiah. It's a conclusive thing. Look, folks, this is the heart of what we believe. This is who I am this day. Because without that, I, cannot, I couldn't have been here. I couldn't be anywhere, not even in Nigeria. Even in Nigeria, I still stood condemned. So it has nothing to do with nationality, geography, or race. And many times we are caught up with race. I mean, look, go and paint yourself. It's as simple as that. that it, it don't mean anything. You still are a sinner. You can own whatever money you want. I mean, people have tried it. They're trying to make a god of the dollar. And indeed, the dollar is the god of the world. But it hasn't solved anything. You know what it has done? It has increased our fears. Because as soon as the dollar has its mood swings, the whole world collapses. And these days that we are on a card, do you know that if anything should happen to the computer systems in the banks today, you are totally broke? You're gone. Insurance, all gone. It's such a plastic thing now. That, that's how far we have been hooked. But here is the bottom line. Will the dollar open the door of heaven before God? No. Okay, democracy. We think political systems are going to solve the world. So every nation should be democracy. You take democracy to Palestine. What happens? They know how to get the power. They beat down those ones who should vote and make sure they don't vote. And those who vote get into power people you don't like. And yet it is still democracy. Because that's what's happened in my own country too. They know how to rig the election so beautifully well. So <laughs> Nigerians are fantastic. They, they, so beautifully well. And the crooks who are just mindless get to power. And in the last six years, the amount of massacre that has gone on in Nigeria, and these people sleep well, I don't know how they do. Because when they gave me a chance on one day to preach on a national military uh, celebrations day, I said, I don't understand how you politicians, our leaders, vice president, you are here. I don't know how you sleep. Because I can't. The head of a two-year-old girl split in two and you sleep? How can you? Not one, not two. The picture of a young man, young man who's just beginning life with his wife and his baby and he was carrying the baby. This is even a Muslim area. This boy was carrying and pulling all they had, a goat. Because their village had been sacked and you guys are well-dressed sitting here. But that's what we have. So even the democracy is not helping us. We say no, it's social issues. So United Nations says, let's have a, a, a goal, millennium goals. They've, they've, they've not solved anything. The only answer, friends, tell it in the rooftops. Tell it to your children. Tell it to whoever cares to listen to you. Is Jesus the savior of the world? That's all. And when Peter wrote this letter, he had reached the end of that conclusion. Because here is how it works. 
And I hope you will travel with me in that journey. This is a time where Nero, emperor, had declared death sentence on any Christian throughout the empire. So whoever says he's a Christian, if you are there, kill him. There will be no case. In northern Nigeria, many of us have been killed. Children, men, women, families have been sacked. Villages have been sacked entirely. No arrest, no prosecution. That's the reality. It's happened in Burkina Faso. It's happened in many parts of the world, Sudan and so on. That is the context where people are believing in Christ. They're not believing in Christ from a comfortable position. No, no. They're not believing in Christ, like Quick said, because you, they want an argument. No. Something supernatural, beyond human understanding, makes people see the truth and align themselves to the shepherding of the good shepherd. The good shepherd. And they face death knowing that the good shepherd is at the other end. That is the context in which Peter himself was writing to people in those seven islands and encouraging them in the faith. He didn't even have a package like Quig would have for me from time to time. He said, you need some money there. No, 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 Peter didn't even have that. He just had a letter. And asks Silvanus, whom we now know as Silas, to take these letters to all these churches in Asia where they are being persecuted. I'm encouraged by Silas himself because it's a risk to travel. And to read these letters. There were no Bibles. So he had to go in at night and with a lantern and say, okay, folks, this letter comes from Uncle Peter. And this is what he said. And he will simply read it. He has no exegesis, no, no commentaries. He just read that letter. And some were taking notes. And some would say, please, could you stay more days so that we can copy this letter as well? And they would copy it and memorize it and sing it to their children and tell it to their grandmothers. And because the women were not educated, say, what did Peter say? He says, shepherds. He says this. And, and by the time Silas has reached the third town, Pontus, he probably, by now, they, they, they were not letting him travel fast. So he said, okay, you keep the letter. And Silas now knows it by heart. And when he goes to the next village, he just says, this is what Peter says. And he sings it through from chapter one to five. And they were copying it. We have it easy, don't we? What stops you from waking up in the morning to read your Bible? Tell me. 
timing? What stops you from memorizing scripture? What stops you from meditating upon it for your own good? It's not, it's, it's not, you're not doing any favor to Jesus. It's your own good that you know the scriptures because that is what beefs you up, strengthens you against the evil one. So when you read scripture and you watch the television and they're telling lies, you will know. When you read scriptures and there are all kinds of philosophies and sociological descriptions of things of life and telling you if you don't do this, you will not look. You just say these are liars. They're not telling the truth. You switch off the TV. When you read the newspapers, you know when they are lying. And believe me, politicians, whether in America, in England, or Africa, they're all the same. You know, I love the preaching of, of my brother Quig. He said, the devil comes in well-dressed, <laughs> looking nice. Not just punchy schemes. They're all over the political parties. My son is a priest. He joined ministry at about 18, 19. And I asked him, you saw your mother beat up to half death. She turned blind before your own eyes. He himself was beaten to unconsciousness. Almost, they missed his shot, but he survived. Why do you think this is the job you want to do? He's not answered me till date. Because he saw and he's seen it more than twice with me. On one occasion, he was with me. We were barely rescued. And yet, he's a missionary. He just returned from Singapore and back now to his duties in Jaws as the canon caricature, training others. And his training skills are joining the ministry to die. I said, why, why, why do you do that? He said, Daddy, that's the truth. We're going to die. Silvanus risked his life for that. And here is what Peter says now. So we now know from this morning's sermon who the good shepherd is. We are only shepherds. Me, Quig, and those of you, and all of you here, each one of us here, family person, we are shepherds. Because God is going, God, going to ask you about your children. God will. God's going to ask you about your environment and your resources. You're going to account. Whatever you receive, be rest assured you will account. And I teach that to my pastors because I'm a man who has received from people grace upon grace. And so when I get one dollar, I say to my pastor, I say, listen, folks, I've got this dollar. This is what it's meant for. Whoever gave this dollar has sacrificed chocolate or soda or something just for me. That person may not ask me, but God will ask me. So one of the key essence of being alive is being sensitive to the fact that we have an account to give. People who forget that actually just push it backwards by force. And in order to push it backwards by force, they turn to rebellion because they don't want to give an account. Whether you rebel or you do not rebel, we will give an account. Jesus has said that. So be rest assured, we will account. Sometimes in the West, I've said, be careful 
listening to all this psychology uh, of children and all of that, and you let your children be, my children ain't going to be nothing. They're going to believe, boy. Because the money I get is from Jesus' son. You eat Jesus' money, you will believe before you get to 18. When you get to 18, make your decision. I'm not going to leave you to some Sigmund Freud theories. The Bible didn't give me that option. Deuteronomy 6, I should talk to you about it because I'm going to account. I'm going to teach you. I'm not going to let you just go. Who are you? It's my house. It's my food. You damn came to this world because I love my, my wife. So listen to me. It's not as easy as I'm talking, folks. No, it isn't. <laughs> Those little children. <laughs> and you wonder whether to kill him or leave him alive. <laughs> but the Holy Spirit restrains you. So you say, okay, son, I'm not going to shout. Listen, listen, please. Can we pray now? Please, please. <laughs> We walked through that, each one of those kids, until they were 18. And when they were 18, believe me, they rebelled. Some rebelled at 17. I was not afraid no more because I know what God has done. They come back crawling and I say, what for? You know, go back to the world. No, daddy, I say, Jesus is my Lord. <laughs> I say, really? Because when you saw it early, they're going to come back. The Bible said so. Teach your kids. And when they grow up, never depart from it. But when you have not done your part, you will account for it on earth here. You will shed tears, folks. I don't want to deceive you. We're shepherds. We're shepherds of all of God's resources. So first and foremost, as I, I have a few minutes because you'll ask questions. Number one is to let you know that First Peter 5, Chapter 1 speaks of Peter himself. Look at what he says. So I exhort the elders amongst you as a fellow elder, unwitnessed of the sufferings of Jesus Christ. So you see, he's not talking theory. He's a participant. He saw Jesus. He denied Jesus. Jesus rose from the dead. He still went away from Jesus after the resurrection. But on Pentecost, he confessed. He has a personal experience of what it means to be born again of what it means to receive Jesus Christ as Savior and as Lord. And he is not an absentee sufferer. He's a participant in the sufferings. In fact, as at this point, he already knew that they were going to kill him. If they caught him, he will be killed. So everything for him was with a sense of urgency. And he says, look, I suffered with Jesus too. We all are suffering the sufferings of Jesus. Nothing, however, could be compared to the one Jesus had because I am only a witness. I didn't go to the cross. So in the suffering we are going through right now cannot be compared to that of the cross. But however, we are witnesses to this truth. And the good news is, because of what Jesus did on the cross, we will be partakers of his glory. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Because when Jesus comes, there will be no wheelchair no more. There will be no malaria fever. There will be no short, no tall, no black, no white. There will be Jesus and all of us. And it will be glorious. I tell you this joke. I, 
came down the airport in Lagos and a taxi driver was taking me to my hotel. I wanted to spend the night before flying to Joss and then he was in a hold up. The, I mean, Lagos is like New York. It was hot, his AC wasn't blowing well, he was angry, the fuel was not going to take him to the next station and he was going to be embarrassed because he's taking a passenger and he looked back and saw me in my clerical class. He said, sir, are you a pastor? I said, I am. He said, please beg Jesus to come back quickly. The suffering is too much. <laughs> and I think we need to live with that in mind. Lord Jesus, come. That's what John said. Come, Lord Jesus. Come. Amen. Come quickly. Because when he comes, Afghanistan, all will be resolved. Every single thing will be resolved. So we're looking forward to that glory. Can I not beat you down with the hard talk that I have made in the first 15 minutes. And let me tell you, please, when you begin to focus on the glory, you forget about your sufferings. It's important, though, that we should know about the hard part, but the glory is sweeter. Jesus is going to come back. He will wipe away every tears, every single one. You had a hard time with your dad? He's going to wipe it away. My mom doesn't like me. We've heard that before. He's going to wipe it away. He's going to wipe away all your sorrows. And you will wonder what a short period of sorrows we've had for 60 years. And then glory of eternity. Endless and endless and endless and endless forever and ever. The glory is sweeter. So it is on account of that now, Peter calls each one of us to keep at the front burner our personal testimonies of Jesus. And if there's anybody here who does not have, I advise you strongly and gently, please talk to some pastor here or someone who can help you. It's a particularly important step. Otherwise, John 10.10 10 will not be true. An ordinary soldier, a corporal by the name of Dominic Oke. I was blowing my cigarette, Philip Morris, because James Mann had just come to Lagos. And I was in my platform shoes, afro, with my heart pick in the pocket, open chest to this point. <laughs> and three of us were going out for a gig that night, that evening. Usually you go out in the evening, you come back in the morning. And then go to work in the morning, drunk. That was a life in the 70s. Some of us pretended we were Isaac Hayes, others Marvin Gaye, others, you know, James Brown, which was my own line, you know, so it had to be. This gentleman, it was a corporal, stopped us. The other said, hey, leave him alone. But I thought coming from a Christian home, I'm going to tackle him because what does he know? I thought Christians were illiterates. And I said to him, look, um, uh, brother, God already has the number of people he wants in heaven, 144,000. That's what he says in, in, in a revelation. And in Nigeria, only two people qualify. So why are you wasting your time? I mean, Nigerians are all going to perish. So why are you wasting your time? 
and he took me to John 10, 10. My cigarette didn't go no more. My heart changed. Nobody beat me. Nobody forced me. I was in tears. Mocus coming down my nose. He helped me, gave me a handkerchief. And while others had gone, hoping that I would meet them at the uh, meeting joint, I turned right back and he helped me to my room. When I opened the door of my house in the barracks, I couldn't believe myself. My house was suddenly dirty. A house I just left a few minutes ago. Now my eyes were open. The posters, Jimi Hendrix, Fella, James, I was crying. By now I was wailing, tearing them down. My bed sheet was dirty. My, I couldn't sleep. I burnt every single thing that night to clean my house. Jesus did that. Jesus did that. Following day, I went and cut my hair. Everything just changed. John 10, 10. I stand by that. 1976, till date. What Jesus did. So you've got to have a personal testimony because if you're going to shepherd your family, your brothers, your sisters, or your church, in our own case, church and family as well, because we pastors are the biggest in trouble. We have our children to shepherd. We have everybody else to shepherd. We have God knows who to shepherd. And everybody comes with their problems, hoping that the pastor has the solution to all the problems. They don't know what we're going through. I was diagnosed with cancer, end of June. My sister's children were busy in big trouble and I would run here, there, and the other. My elder cousin died and the funeral was on my head. I could not tell anybody. Nobody knew that I had cancer until when I flew out. Because who will I tell? I mean, look, when you are a shepherd, you, if, if I tell them, they will die. And I take them to Jesus and I look for solutions. I look for problems everywhere. Who will I tell? I also go to Jesus with theirs and mine. And that's the reason why you need that personal experience so that you're not broken down. Because as a shepherd, look, I, I give, I'm, I, I thank God. I'll never be a woman, but, and I, even in the next world, I won't be a woman. But what women have to bear sometimes, if you're a husband, believe me honestly. If you think deep and you look at this girl that you married and what they have to bear, when a woman finally tells you, I think my back is aching. It's been aching for weeks. But she's been cooking, looking after the children. Who will she tell? I've used this illustration in Ezekiel 34. I was talking to clergymen, bishops. And I said, let's just be women for one day. Let's try. We're men. Macho. Macho nonsense. Let's just be women for one day and see what women go through. I think God wired them that way to keep quiet in their pains. As 
saw the birth of my first daughter and I begged God, never again. I will not make my wife pregnant again. I don't want any children. It's, it's just not, it's not, I, I, I vowed. I will never see the birth of any child anymore. And I have not. I'm keeping to my vow. I, it's no, 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 no. No. It's not a sight. I thought she was going to die. I held the doctor. I said, <laughs> he said, Ben, cool down. I said, no, help her. He was not doing anything. I said, help her. He was not doing, he was okay. I was not okay. And then he was so stupid enough after they pulled out the baby, he said, put it in his hands. I felt, and they helped me. <laughs> That's where shepherd is. The shepherd bears their own because they have a savior who bears it for them. A savior they know. Not a savior in the head. A savior they know. Which is the experience Peter tells us. And for us in our generation, let me say, when we know, may I say two things more. When we know, we should follow. Please follow nothing else but Jesus. As fantastic as our electronic information gadgets are, please don't follow them. Follow Jesus. Look for Jesus in those electronic gadgets. If you don't find Jesus, forget it. Follow. Insist in your own decision, in your mind, in your heart this day to follow Jesus. But th thirdly, first of all, I know knowing Jesus, following Jesus, but thirdly, what our bishop told us this morning, sharing Jesus to the ends of the world that others may also come in. Because if somebody didn't share, I would not have been in. Think about it. Jesus says this gospel must get to the whole world. Now, my second point of shepherding is verse 2 to 5. And it's very simple. Peter is given an example asking the shepherds to be examples for the flock. So shepherding, as much as we have to know him, follow him, and share him, we have to be exemplary. I, I was not so well-dressed. Normally, I'm not. As a rural evangelist, I was always in my jeans and all that. As soon as I was made bishop, I said, whoa, this is now unlike me. Now, I think the chemotherapy is beginning to work. Give me two minutes, I'll go into the bathroom. Gloria, come. Mama. So every day, Gloria wakes up, usually about four. Or maybe earlier. She said the Muslim called her prayers at four, so usually the Christians wake up before that. Are you going to tell them already? They forgot. Tell them again. What? You're what? stalling, Mama Glory. You're stalling. You're just telling them some <laughs> nice stories. Tell them again. What, the, what should I say? Tell them what you did about how you wake up. What you did. Oh. <laughs> well, I... Did you read all of well, my calling as, as a wife, as a mother, as everything that God has made me to be, I wake up um, at four, at least by four I'm already awake, sometimes earlier than that. We're just buying time, let Ben come so that we'll, it's already time. Anyway, when I wake up, I do my devotions, and then, well, before, I used to just jump at the children because there are so many 
do this one, do that, but Ben really helped me and it has helped me. When I do my devotions, uh, God just sorts out the rest of the, the things. I don't know what to say. <laughs> I, I, I really don't know what to say. Oh, oh, is it here? I'm going to. No, no, no. It's at the. Okay. Well, I was uh, preparing for the children. I, God gave me the children from. Um, well, I began from an orphanage. First, I learned from my mother. Secondly, from my walk with the Lord when I became a Christian, and I was seeking the Lord, and I understood seeking the Lord is simply doing what will please the Lord. And part of what will please the Lord was to look out for those who are sick, those who are in need, and all of that just to help. And I found myself in this, you know, orphanage that was abused, going through abuse, and God used me as the one bringing things to them and so on. So when the abuse was so much, uh, the, and the orphanage was going to fold up, who was to be looked for? I was the one because I was available. I didn't plan to start any orphanage or any NGO, but God began it because I made it, st- I, I was available. And it was like a rescue mission, really, because the children were abused more than how many times? They were already abused, some of them were thrown away and so on, and now being abused again, used as sex, you know, uh, instruments and so on. So I was looked for and I didn't think twice. I just thought that was what God wanted me to do, to help these children that are, you know, poor and vulnerable. And I gave myself. Now there are so many and there are still many more that are coming. It will seem that when any child is in trouble, the first person they look for now is me. They will just say, where is Mama Gloria? And I don't think twice, any child that is in trouble, I have asked God, I want to be useful. I am available. Lord, please use me. So there is no limit to... Let me quickly end because it's uh, time to church. Just two minutes. If you have any questions uh, that are pressing, I would advise you to please write them down. I'll text... um, or Annette, and I can respond to them. But lastly, it's the fact, well, secondly, I said, first thing, the shepherd needs to be exemplary, verses 2 to 3, and the shepherd uh, also should be leading people to look forward to the second return of Jesus Christ. And the example of a shepherd is humility. That's key to all of us. Humble with your children, humble with your neighbors, humble. You know, that's not the thing that we are cooked up to be. Finally, you must persevere in the Christian life from verse 6 to 11. Be sober, be watchful, resist the devil. Your suffering is not uncommon to all Christians. Every Christian is suffering, believe it or not. I know Christians are suffering in America just as elsewhere. It's just that the magnitude and the publicity is different, but it's the same. Amen. Amen time. Sorry, I didn't give you time to ask questions. (laughs) Forgive me.